Welcome to 49. My name is Judd Devermont. I'm the director of the Africa program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. I was the National Intelligence Officer for Africa and worked at the National Security Council. And I'm Nicole Willett. I'm Chief of Staff at the Open Society Foundation and, like Judd, have served at the National Security Council as well as the U.S. State Department and Senate Foreign Relations. This podcast has everything you need to know about U.S. policy towards Sub-Saharan Africa. What happened in the past? What should the Biden administration do? Plus, we promise to deliver the goods in 15 minutes or less, one country at a time. This episode is about Niger, and we are excited to be joined by Bisa Williams, former ambassador to Niger and deputy assistant secretary for West Africa. Nicole, do you want to walk us through U.S. policy towards Niger? Yes, a little bit of pressure with the former ambassador and DAS on the line, but I'll do my best. The United States appointed its first resident ambassador to Niger in 1961, which is a year after the country's independence. He harped on the Kennedy White House, his words, to fund a bridge crossing the Niger River in Niamey. Finally, the powers that be relented and a new bridge was named the John F. Kennedy Bridge. While French ties to the first Nigerian government were extremely close, there were 90 French advisors in various ministries. The United States had a large Peace Corps presence and a robust USAID program. President Hamani Diori met with LBJ at the White House in 1967. But in the 70s, there was a terrible drought across the Sahel. The United States delivered aid in the major cities and conducted some airdrops, but the Nigerian government prohibited deliveries to rural areas. Only the ruling party and the Nigerian Red Cross were allowed to go into rural communities. Diori even barred the Nigerian army from assisting. These conditions contributed to his ouster in 1974. U.S. intelligence analysts assessed the military was motivated in large part by the government's inability to overcome, quote, impoverished Niger's chronic economic stagnation, end quote, which has been compounded by the drought. The new government, led by Colonel Sengi Kuche, immediately cooperated with the international community to provide relief to populations suffering from drought. The United States spent several hundred million dollars on the response to Niger and other Sahelian countries. As the war in Vietnam wound down, USAID pivoted to Africa and its staff in Niger doubled for several years in a row. In the 1980s, the United States and Niger were fairly aligned on geopolitical issues. The Nigerians were concerned about Libyan influence and had limited ties to the USSR, which deteriorated even further after the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. Niger enjoyed a positive relationship with China. That said, U.S. diplomats and analysts consistently noted that France's presence, interests, and activities, including the uranium sector, overshadowed the United States. In 1987, Kunche died and his successor, another military leader, carried on until he was barred from running for another term by Niger's sovereign national conference. In a free and fair election in 1993, Mahaman Usman won the presidential election. His term was cut short by a coup and the United States froze its assistance. A former ambassador said that the embassy's efforts to restore civilian rule consisted of a lot of words, but not the resources to back it up. In 1999, there was yet another coup. The new president seemed promising and even scored a visit to the Oval Office with President Bush. Alas, he decided to run for a third term and was overthrown in short order. The country again had a transition, resulting in the election of Isufu Mahamadou. 
In the midst of Niger's struggles to consolidate its democracy, the United States became more concerned about insecurity when there was a Tuareg rebellion from 2007 to 2009 and escalating extremist attacks. More than 420 civilians have been killed in jihadist attacks in western Niger this year, and tens of thousands of people have fled their homes, according to Human Rights Watch. The U.S. government worked with Nigerians through the Trans-Saharan Counterterrorism Partnership, known as the TSCTP, and the U.S. military accompanied Nigerian forces on missions, one of which led to the deaths of four servicemen at Tongo Tongo in 2017. The U.S. military also built a base in the Agadez Desert. Isufu, whose Democratic credentials were tarnished to some degree by barring one of his main opponents from contesting elections in 2020, pulled off what none of his predecessors had. He presided over a civilian-to-civilian transfer of power and stepped down in 2021. He was awarded the Mo Ibrahim Prize for this feat. The new president, Mohamed Bazoum, was a former foreign minister, interior minister, and head of the ruling party. So Judd, now that I made it through that, do you want to talk about a major U.S. success or policy failure? This is a, a special one for me because I worked at the NSC covering Niger and Ambassador Williams was in Niger. And she and I both had the experience of working with what I think is one of the most competent governments that I have seen. Bazoum, when he was the foreign minister, but also the various ambassadors that have been in Washington are incredibly prepared. They know their portfolio. They were able to make, I think, and this is rare often for African governments, critiques about their neighbors and what they were doing wrong. And I think because of that, under Ambassador Williams' leadership, we really did work with the Nigerians on a, a host of issues. So, you know, it's not really about a U.S. success and failure at this point. I want to highlight what a competent, I think, honest about their limitations government can get in terms of a partnership. Ambassador Williams, I want to hear your strategy, but I want to make sure that I capture that right. So if you have other points there, please jump in and then let us know what the Biden administration should do. Well, I do think you have it right that they were a breath of fresh air and an extremely competent, extremely serious government under President Isufu, particularly first-term President Isufu. And for those reasons, they were a pleasure to work with, but it was also a pleasure to see things getting done. I do think it's an accomplishment that they set the stage security-wise for themselves. And so I, I think, you know, if, if the challenge from Nicole to you was like, what did the U.S. do right? Seizing that moment and working closely with them to try to help them ward off the onslaught of extremism that we felt was coming their way after the implosion of, of Libya, I think was a good thing. I think we got that part of the policy right. And if you look, that lasted pretty much until now. And part of the, the fragility that you're seeing in the region is not really because of Niger's fragility, but because of things that are happening in the region generally. But if you want to take that now, so now what should President Biden's administration do? The good news is, I think they're off to their, a good start with Niger. Our Undersecretary for Political Affairs, Victoria Nuland, was just there. And I listened to her press statement. And with Bazoom, you have to have serious discussions. So I know that they really got into some details. I think what the Biden administration really needs to do with Niger specifically, but it will help with the Sahel, is to look at them treat them seriously as an equal partner, and to go much more deeply into the relationship between the Sahelian states and the Maghreb. That is something that the American administrations traditionally have been very loath to do, and it has been to our detriment. The experience with Libya and the, the after effects of Libya are the perfect example of some of that 
very poor analysis on the R side and lack of paying attention to what the Nigerians specifically were telling us and what we knew about the Sahel because we we separate so distinctly parts of Africa from each other. Well, I think of it, Ambassador Williams, as the crime of Kissinger, because it was actually when he was Secretary of State that he split the Africa Bureau, moving the North African countries into NEA. And I think some of the challenges you're mentioning are still the legacy of that. And it should be something that we have a serious assessment about what makes sense. I want to add, before I ask Nicole to take all of your policies and tell us how to do it within the interagency, that Niger does sit on the Security Council right now, which means that it's important for the region, but it's important for any global priority that the United States has under President Biden. So, Nicole, in the interagency, how do we move this forward? Thanks, Judd. So you and Bisa have really outlined how important it is to have a serious policy to respond to a serious government. And I think this is yet another country where we're hearing how important it is to dig deeper, to be focused and to not miss those opportunities just because it may or may not be the headline state. I mean, the fact that they're on the Security Council right now only underscores how important the relationship over time is and how we should be committed to that, not just in moments of need, but as Bisa said, in moments where we're really having a partnership, learning from each other. This is a perfect example of how interagency coordination is absolutely key to be able to deepen relationships. We have so many different facets of this relationship. Clearly, the security relationship is extremely important with Niger, but really with the Sahel and, of course, looking to the Maghreb. This is a moment where USUN, so our um, mission to the United Nations, must be involved because that's a real opportunity when you have diplomats in New York regularly speaking with Nigerian diplomats to help build that relationship. Clearly, the State Department is, is focused and seems to be really thinking about this. It is no small thing to have Tory Newland at that level go to Niger and have serious conversations. That is a really important sign that this is happening. But you need to make sure that whatever the State Department is raising, others are echoing. And that echo chamber is what really helps deepen the relationship. Just additionally, I think to stress what Judd and Visa were noting, that the coordination that has to happen with our Middle East and North Africa colleagues, which is historically weaker than it should be, and which I think during Libya was highlighted to all of us in new and upsetting ways, it's extremely important in this case for the Sahel, for our relationship with Niger, but also because that will continue to be the case for a long time in a lot of countries. So, Ambassador Williams, do you have one big idea or a fresh approach that you want to put on the table? We didn't have second thoughts when we did the Marshall Plan for Europe. We didn't have second thoughts when we built all of Panama's infrastructure. We had direct assets in there. I think we need to think of security as the direct asset that we're trying to protect for ourselves and really get going on infrastructure with Niger specifically. MCC is one thing, but I mean something much more direct and faster than MCC. If we get that country stable with its own resources and its own ability for its people to communicate, that would be to our benefit, the U.S. security benefit. But I also would like for our government to think more creatively about education and using our educational institutions, our universities, our people in pedagogy, and figuring out a way to work in partnerships specifically. Let Niger be a pilot case. So much of the country is illiterate. So much of the country is young. We need to 
go back to the notion in the 60s, we trained their pharmacists, their chemists, their agriculturalists, and we're not doing any of that. We stopped in the 70s and no one substituted. It's a really important idea. And it's funny because the number of times on this podcast we have heard that particular idea as being key really underscores the fact that there could be a real continent-wide initiative for the Biden-Harris administration to consider because that need and the way that it speaks to economic development, democracy, security, all of the things that are critical in the future, you know, it, it gets there. And I think it should be considered. Well, let me make a uh, awkward transition because I think one of the places that Niger really does excel in is is architecture. And maybe that would be surprising to some of your listeners. Uh, but if you go to Niamey, you see really striking architecture. It's both this mix of vernacular styles and traditional material that turns out to be a very modern, I think sometimes almost Afro-futurist look. And Ambassador Williams, I thought maybe you could share with us one of your favorite buildings or architects when you serve there. The architecture in Niger is just, uh, just amazing. And there is a wonderful building in Agadez, actually. And at first I didn't know, but it has these undulating rooftop. And it's actually like a warehouse. Last time I was up there, it had a bunch of onions in it. But I found it's stucco on the outside. And it, it's just beautiful. In Zander, I went to a sultan's palace, which it has these beautifully intricate designs on the outside of a white, very traditional palace building. But I, I also found that very striking. With modern architecture, my favorite architect is Mariam Kamara, who is Afrocentric. She uses cultural motifs, but she brings in, she's a green architect. She uses only materials that can be found in the place. And she's created this certified sort of concrete substitute that is from indigenous materials. She combines traditional style with modern style. She built a library and renovated a mosque in Tawa, in a town in Tawa. Where, and they're in communication with each other, sort of emphasizing the point that there's no distinction between Islam and education. She, she built this wonderful, graceful marché. All of her work is sort of graceful. It has this charming grace to it that's so inviting. She also has a playground outside of one of the major hotels, outside of the Zoom Hotel, and it's called the Espace Touareg, the Touareg space, to be reminiscent of the desert right there in the heart of the city, but also with this very, very playful, graceful, colorful toys for the kids. So she's my favorite architect. She's working now with David Ajay, who, of course, designed the Museum of African-American History and Culture in, the, in Washington, D.C. You know, Visa, um, Ira Glass says that podcasts are a visual medium, and I think you've proved that today. But for our audience, we'll put some links so you can see some of the, the architecture that Visa was talking about. Well, that's the show. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and check out our analysis at csis.org backslash Africa. Thanks.